You can make it two seasons in a row that the Calgary Flames have kicked off their regular season with a victory. They defeat the Winnipeg Jets 5-3 last night at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Welcome into Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Cracks Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. It was not... A Picasso last night by the Calgary Flames, but a win is a win. It's two points in the bank, and now they get set to head east for a lengthy road trip, which includes stops in Pittsburgh to take on Sidney Crosby and a stop in Washington to take on Alex Ovechkin. Really looking forward to this road trip for the Calgary Flames as they start the season off with a win last night. That's where we'll start the program. Flames were back at practice this afternoon on Thursday, getting set to head out for that road trip. Some line changes for Ryan Huska following the win last night. Like we said, it wasn't perfect from the Flames' perspective, but we'll dive into it coming up in just a few moments here. It's a busy show for you over the next two hours. We'll hear from Kelly Rudy, color analyst, former NHL goaltender, of course, on Sportsnet uh, Flames broadcast. He'll join us to see... Uh, how he thought of game one of the regular season for the Calgary Flames. Peter Klein, our pal Primetime Klein, is going to join us in the second hour. We'll chat some hockey with PK. Also, an upcoming UFC card that's seen some major changes. So we'll check in with uh, PK on that. And David Amber, host of NHL on Sportsnet, is going to join us, the man behind the desk, uh, getting set for another busy NHL season covering hockey for Sportsnet. So we got a lot to get into. Quick reminder, the fan feedback line is always open to you on the program. 960-960. If you're listening live, feel free to shoot us a text. How you feeling after game one of the regular season for the Calgary Flames ends in a win over the Winnipeg Jets? What did you like? What didn't you like? 960-960. We'll get to your text throughout the program. My outstanding producers today are Cam and Taylor. Let's dive into it. You heard it uh, from Derek and his final call there, an emotional night at the Scotiabank Saddledome. The Snow family in attendance once again. Kelsey Snow with Willa and Cohen, the daughter and son of Chris, of course, who we lost last week with the ceremonial puck drop. Uh, a fantastic standing ovation by the Scotiabank Saddledome and what continues to be a, a really tough time for that family. Cohen was on the bench for warm-ups. You can see people in the crowd calling out to him, all the Flames players, giving him fist bumps as they went by. He was also in the locker room post-game, meeting up with a lot of the guys, getting autographs. Michael Backlund had a special jersey for him. Uh, it was just great to see and uh, a really emotional night in the first regular season game for the Calgary Flames 
since the passing of their general manager, assistant general manager, Chris Snow. And a quick reminder, his uh, memorial service is this Thursday afternoon. So we continue to keep the family and friends of uh, Chris Snow in our thoughts as we uh, chat all things Calgary Flames here on the program. 5-3 is your final. The Calgary Flames defeat the Winnipeg Jets. Good and bad mixed in in the win last night. The good, they hit the scoreboard five times. And for a team that was offensively challenged, to say the least, last year, it was probably a breath of fresh air for a lot of people, including the Flames themselves, to see that the puck went in uh, a couple of times. It was not anywhere near what you saw last year from the Calgary Flames. Words like high possession, shot volume, all those sort of things looked a little bit different for the Calgary Flames. They were heavily outshot in this game, 37-22 to 22 in favor of the Winnipeg Jets. But the Flames were able to take advantage of their opportunities. They were the better team in the face-off dot. They won 61% of their draws. The special teams were outstanding from the Calgary Flames. They went one for three on the power play. Rasmus Anderson added a shorthanded goal as well. So that was a major plus. And how can you not love the game from Andrew Mangiapane? Two goals on the night. He had an assist as well on a key goal from Elias Lindholm. He was outstanding, looking a lot more like the Andrew Mangiapane that got that big contract extension from the Calgary Flames a couple of years ago. And we know he was battling with shoulder surgery and a shoulder injury last year. So good news for the Calgary Flames. He was back and looking like himself. But the biggest takeaway for me in this game, uh, the play of number 25, Jacob Markstrom. He was phenomenal for the Calgary Flames. Looked like the Jacob Markstrom that was a runner-up for the Vesna Trophy two seasons ago. Calm, cool, collected. Really liked his game. Yes, the goal from Kyle Connor is probably one that you want back. That's a good shooter who makes a nice move. He beats you low glove side. He got a piece of it, but just not enough. It goes in. Past that, I mean, to say that the Flames were underwater at 5-on-5 five five in this game is not an understatement. There were a lot of miscues, I think, adapting to the new style of defense. And overall, just I thought a really strong game from the Winnipeg Jets offensively that got stymied by Jacob Markstrom last night. That's a huge positive for the Calgary Flames because, let's be honest, we can have the bounce back seasons or back to career norm seasons for a lot of guys that we've talked about, but how much of it would be meaningless if the guy in goal, who's going to get the majority of starts for this flames team, Jacob Markstrom, isn't one of those guys. Cause Kadri and Huberto and go down the list of guys that were disappointing in parts last season if they get back to it, this team's going to be better for sure. But if they want to get where they want to go to, and that's the playoffs and possibly beyond, to me, it starts with number 25. I don't think there was a more important person on this Flames team that needs to get right this season than Jacob. It's great to have Dustin Wolf, and it's great to have Dan Vladar in the system. But this is the guy that they've invested in. This is the guy who needs to get it done this season. And without him, I, I frankly think we're talking about another disappointing year for the Calgary Flames. So I'm incredibly excited to see that Jacob got off to a strong start. I think that's very important for this team. He looked like his old self. He looked confident in the net. He wasn't 
running around with the puck behind the net, wasn't doing too much when it came to to playing the puck. He just looked comfortable. And I think that that's such a, a massive thing for this Flames team to start off the season in a big-time win over the Winnipeg Jets. Um, changes for the Calgary Flames. They were back at practice this morning. And some of the changes that we saw in last night's game late in the third period have moved on into today's practice. We'll hear from the head coach, Ryan Huska, coming up in just moments following today's practice for the Calgary Flames. But we saw some shifting of the lines. We know that Dylan Dubé entered yesterday's game on that top line with Jonathan Huberto and Elias Lindholm. That did not last. Andrew Mangiapane was going so well last night. Uh, we wound up seeing a lot of him with Huberto and Lindholm in the third period. Ryan Huska mentioned to us post-game that he just he likes the energy that Andrew has, likes the fact that he can create for whatever line he's on. So thought it was good to have him. We also saw Nazem Kadri. This is something we've seen throughout training camp and something that I think we'll see a lot during the regular season when the Flames need they need an offensive zone shift. Uh, Ryan Huska hasn't been hasn't shied away from jumping Nazem Kadri up to that wing with Huberto and Lindholm either. That was something we saw in the third period for the first time during the regular season. So that's something to keep an eye on. But things have changed for the Flames as they're getting set to take on the Pittsburgh Penguins Saturday to kick off this road trip. Your lines and D pairings at practice on Thursday look like this. Manjapani on that right side with Lindholm and Huberto. Adam Rizicka moves from the 4C spot all the way up to the wing with Kadri and Coronado. That's where Sharon Govich was yesterday. Dubé is now with Backlund and Coleman. Your fourth line, Greer, Sharon Govich in the middle, and Walker Dewar on the right side. Dryden Hunt still operating as your extra forward. Noah Hannafin with Rasmus Anderson. Nikita Zdorov with Mackenzie Weger. And a change on the D pairings as Dennis Gilbert was operating as the third pairing defenseman alongside Chris Tanev in place of Jordan Osterley. I thought Osterley struggled at points last night uh, for the Flames as well when it came to making some of those D zone exits and giving the puck away a little bit too much. So perhaps we see that on Saturday, Dennis Gilbert making his season debut against uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, perhaps on that pairing with Chris Tanev. What did you like? What didn't you like in game one for the Calgary Flames? 960-960. If you're listening live, shoot us a text. We'll get to the text line coming up in just a few moments. Again, it wasn't a, a, a work of art for the Calgary Flames. They probably escaped with two points on a night where they weren't the better team. But given everything that happened last year where they were the better team and they outshot the opponent and at times outworked the opponent and it didn't lead to anything... I think you're okay with how game one went from a Calgary Flames perspective. That's not to say that there isn't work to do. That's not to say there isn't improvement because there absolutely is. And you don't want to play like that most nights because I think you're probably going to lose if that's what you put on the ice most nights. But it just feels good to, I think after last year, having so many of those one-goal games, losing the lead in the third period for this team to respond like they did and come out of it with a two-point 
uh, win on a big night to open the season. I think that's a big thing for the Calgary Flames. Let's check in with the team on this Thursday. They're getting set to head out on a big road trip that starts Saturday night in Pittsburgh against Sidney Crosby and the Penguins. Let's hear from head coach Ryan Huska. He picked up his first win as an NHL head coach last night when the Flames beat the Jets 5-3. Here's the head coach's thoughts on this Thursday afternoon. Did feel like Nikita Zadorov really set the tone physically yesterday? Kennedy looked like he didn't take himself out of position, but but wanted to yeah. to, to play physically. Were, were you happy to see that? What yeah, does that do for the team? For sure, he's uh, he's the one guy. Um, when you look at identities on our team, um, some guys are hard by being physical, like Nikita. Other guys are hard in different ways, but that's part of his identity. So when he's on the ice, because he plays that way, people know. So I thought he did a good job with that last night. Some of the things that maybe you weren't uh, happy with last night, kind of some of the coverage things, are they pretty easy in your mind to, to clean up here going forward? Um, I don't know if it's ever easy. I, I think more of the coverage issues came from our management of the puck more so than anything, Pat. Um, we gave the puck up way too easily last night at times, and then at other times we forced it when we should just been putting it behind them. Winnipeg did a good job of staying up nice and tight, but we have to learn how to handle that type of pressure for sure. The key to handling that type of pressure? Um, I think it's awareness from your wingers a lot of times, and I think it's your defenseman making the, the confident play, whether that's on the tape or if that's up and in behind. Yeah. And, and that kind of speaks to that, that connectivity. I think a couple of guys sure. mentioned that too, just whether it's in your own zone or, or getting through the neutral zone, kind of making sure it's a group of yeah. You know, five. Yeah, when we're getting there. It's not there yet, you can tell. Um, but that's a, a big part of the game when everybody's kind of in sync, things flow. Uh, and when they're not quite at that connected level, it's choppy, and that's the way we were. So we're going to keep working on that as we go here. Not to draw like, parallels to last year at all, but early in the season last year, we did hear a lot of like guys just being like, we got to get on the road. we got to get together, be on the road. This year you have this road trip yeah. to start. Is that, is that good? I group? think it is. I mean, and I don't like ever saying family's a distraction because it's so far from it, but um, the reality is when you're on the road, you fly with a group of guys, you get on the plane, you get off the plane, you go to the hotel on a bus together, um, you go to dinner together, together, you have pregame skate together, everything is together. Um, so it, it's good. It, it's, it gives people that don't really know each other all that well yet an opportunity to um, maybe learn something about each individual on our team, and then I think it helps to strengthen a connection for sure. It looks like Yegor Sharangovich is trying to find himself yeah. or figure out where he fits in with this team. What potential does he have as a player, in your opinion? I think he has a lot of potential. He's a smart player. He sees the game really well, and he's got a good skill set um, that goes along with it. So um, while he's trying to sort himself out, um, we're trying to also sort out where he fits, where he's going to fit in at, I, mean, I guess, the best that's going to help our team have success. So um, I do think he is a good player, and he's capable of a lot of good things. The challenge for him is to start feeling um, like he can be a little bit more assertive when he's playing the game, demand the puck a little bit more, um, play with a little bit more edge, and then I think we'll see his game take some steps. How did you feel you about it to load up with Kadri, Huberdo, and, and Lindholm on the same line? What what goes into that decision? Um, they're, when you look at them, they're at the top of our offensive players. So um, offensive zone face-offs, maybe after a, a penalty kill, stuff like that, it gives them an opportunity um, maybe to create something at a certain time of the game. That's that's really what it comes down to, Pat. Yeah. What did you feel about Matt Coronado's game? He said to me, he goes, that was the fastest game he's ever played in terms of <laughs> intensity, the speed of it. Because, I mean, his NHL game last year was 82 yeah. against two teams that were just 
yeah. trying to get to summer. Yeah, it's funny that uh, exhibition or you go training camp and it takes a step at exhibition, then it takes a step at the regular season. It's going to take another step around Christmas. It'll take another step around the trade deadline. And for young guys, they figure that out in a hurry. So I'm glad to hear that Matthew, um, he took that in last night. I mean, it, there are some really good teams, really good players in this league. And for a young guy, um, it just helps them recognize that I have to do things a little bit quicker. I can be my same, the same player that I am, but I have to speed my decision making up. Could you, you tell them it before they go through it? They just no, they you need, can tell them, they get, but they don't believe it until they see it. They need that experience for sure. Yeah. Could you see? Could you see him? You know, uh, translate that as the game's going on too, just maybe in how his his game progressed through sixty minutes. Even. Yeah, I, I thought um, not just Maddie. I thought a lot of our guys were like eyes wide open. And he, opening night, there's a, a different level of pressure that comes with it. And you know, Michael Backlund would probably say that he felt some because he's wearing the captain C for the first time in front of the the great crowd that we have. So everybody feels pressure in their own way. The challenge is you make sure you're prepared properly so you don't have to worry about anything. Just go out and play your game. Um, but opening night, there's a lot of different nerves, different energy that comes into play. So I, I think by us getting on the road to your earlier question, I think will be a good thing. Ryan, they say good teams find ways to win. I yeah. think about the game the Bruins won in here last year. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure the Flames win that game last year with the way it went back and forth. Did that help build some belief and how important is that? Uh, I think it's early in the year um, for that. I mean, I, I think it's important that um, for Markey, I thought he had an awesome game. Um, and I think it's important for our guys to know that we have one of the best goaltenders behind us, so let's go and play our game type thing. But I think it's really early in the year for that. Yep. That is Calgary Flames head coach Ryan Huskill following practice on Thursday. His team 1-0 on the season after a 5-3 victory against the Winnipeg Jets on opening night. Some of your texts, 960-960, the fan feedback line always open to you here on Sportsnet today, asking you what you liked and didn't like from night one for the Calgary Flames. Our pal Matt and Cochran texting in shots were 27-14 for the Jets, yet the Flames were up 3-2. Huh, so that's how it feels from the other side. Yeah, the Flames, like I said, didn't hit a lot of those key game moments that we talked about last year outshooting the opponent, heavy possession, all that stuff favored Winnipeg heavily last year, and most of the time meant the Flames lost, but not so much uh, this time for the Calgary Flames. It's, uh, as Matt said, on the opposite side of the foot this year, this year at least to start the season for the Calgary Flames. Uh, David Altidore texting in saying, liked two points, five goals, really good goaltending, didn't like Huberto and others' defensive zone giveaways. Yeah, the D zone is still something that, I think is a work in progress. Ryan Huska mentioned it yesterday on uh, his comments following the game that it wasn't so much the structure that he didn't like from his team last night. He thought that they structured themselves well. The giveaways in the D zone, making those quick decisions are something that the team is still working on. They want to exit the zone really fast. And I think that it's going to come down to whoever gets the puck in the D zone. If you win that battle or you get it off a rebound, this team's got to set the standard of where players are going to be, where that outlet's going to be, and I think that that's still a work in progress for this team. Too many times last night, and you have to give the Jets credit. I thought they forechecked really well. I thought they did a good job of keeping the puck in the offensive zone as often as they could. It's not simply on the Calgary Flames, but too many times when the Flames did have an opportunity, and it, it happened on the Shifley game-tying goal in the third period, you have to get that puck out of the zone 
wasn't really an option. They leave it open for Morrissey to keep it in, and all of a sudden you're looking at a tie game late in the third period. That's that's something that could have burned this team in a, in a much more severe way than it did. They were able to stay calm and keep their head in the game and come back to win it in regulation, but it's clearly something that they need to work on and something that I think you'll see at times as just a part of this zone uh, defensive scheme that they're working on. That It's going to take time to understand where your teammates are going to be, what the quickest way to get out of the zone is while still making sure that you get the puck out. That's going to be the key thing for this group, and it's one that Ryan Huska said, uh, and you heard him again there talking to the media on Thursday. It's one that they're still working on. It's early on in the season. It's a different change from what they did last year. They'll get there. It's just it was night one of the season. I don't think it's anything to panic over, but it is definitely something to watch now that we're here and into the regular season. Uh, this one says, uh, no offense to Japani. Markstrom saved their ass half the time. The Flames were being blown out. Kadri and Huberto non-existent except for seven or eight giveaways. Yeah, Huberto was... Huberto was up and down for me at times last night. I thought he had a couple of moments. Yeah, I think that there was definitely some more work to be done. And I think we know that Nazem Kadri has has more in the tank than uh, what he showed on opening night. But again, it's the first of 82. They get going again. They have another opportunity to impress on Saturday against a good Penguin squad that brings a lot of offensive firepower. And the good, the good news is we're saying all these things. We're saying, okay, Markstrom kind of saved them. Manch had a good game. They still came out of it with two points. And more often than not last year, that wasn't the case. So night one equals two points. When we get to January and February, we we won't even remember how they got those two points. We'll simply just be having the conversation that they banked two points on opening night and they weren't the better team. That's how it works sometimes in the NHL. It'll be one uh, to monitor for sure. We'll have more Flames talk throughout the afternoon, including a chat with Kelly Rudy, who was on the call with Rick Ball last night. One of the best uh, crews in hockey back together calling games on Sportsnet. Really looking forward to chatting with Kelly, former NHL goaltender, a little bit later on in the program. Get his feel uh, on a new Flames season that's underway. But when we come back, we're going to jump to a wider perspective of the NHL. The league is well underway. We've seen some stunning results last night uh, in Vancouver. Connor Bedard's got his first goal uh, as an NHLer. There's lots to get to around the league. David Amber. From the desk on sports that he's going to join us next to talk all things NHL. Looking forward to that. Keep it locked. Hockey talk next here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. Two days of NHL regular season action in the books. This Thursday night, another seven games. Sportsnet one's got a doubleheader. Rangers, Sabers, the Golden Knights after a banner raising night are in San Jose to take on the Sharks. Panthers, Wild, Kraken, Predators. Good to have hockey back. And with hockey back, this man's also behind the desk once again for Sportsnet TV. You know him, you love him. Hosting most nights of uh, hockey on Sportsnet. It's our pal David Amber joining us down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. David, thanks as always for the time, man. How are you? Logan, it's a good time of year. It's a lot of fun, right? When we get uh, the preseason, seems like it lasts forever because it's fairly meaningless, certainly <laughs> to most 
most of the players, most of the teams, certainly the fans and, and us in the media. So it's nice to have the real meaningful games underway. It's awesome. It really is. It's great to have you guys back on the desk and breaking down hockey. And what a start it's been for you guys. We had an awesome triple header of action on Tuesday. We had great action last night across Canada with some really fun results. What have you, what's caught your eye in the first two days of being back behind the desk and, and calling on and watching all these games, DA? Well, a couple of things caught me. First of all, obviously, like everyone else, Connor Bedard, and, you know, there was all those questions. You know, we saw the great skill set in the WHL that isn't going to translate in the you know, NHL, and I think definitively we see, yes, it has translated, and this guy is going to be a star, and he just turned 18 a few months ago, and between that shot and his hockey IQ and, you know, really his competitiveness, I mean, he's put up 11 shots and has two points in two games, and he could have had more. Like, it's it's been really cool to see. So that's a great storyline. And I think the second storyline is that uh, generally we in the media are idiots is the other storyline. <laughs> as I'm watching that Oiler game, I'm flipping back and forth between the Flames and Jets and the Oilers and Canucks. And I'm like, all right, well, here we go. The Oilers, my uh, Stanley Cup favorite pick. And boom, boom, boom. Besser, 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 Besser. Eight next thing I know is 8-1. I'm like, holy crap. I, uh, I mean, listen, it's one game, but it was just, it's pretty wild to see, like, you know, the difference between winning and losing in a league like the NHL, and there's legitimately seven, eight teams that are saying, you know, we are Stanley Cup contenders, and, and maybe they're right. Like, it's just such a parody league with the with the salary cap as it is, and uh, it was just pretty wild to watch uh, Vancouver put a number on Edmonton like that yeah. uh, on a night last night. For <laughs> it's them. funny. We were at the Dome last night, obviously, uh, with the Flames and the Jets, and even you can tell the regular season's back to you because during the preseason, you know, you're kind of doing your thing. You're not really worried about it, but you've got everyone in the press box now when other things are happening. Oh, Bedard scored. That was one that's passing around. Then all of a sudden it's, it's 6-1 Canucks. It's 7-1 Canucks. And everyone in Calgary, of course, loves seeing that kind of result. And it just it feels like regular season's back, right? You're outside your own little bubble of training camp, and now all of these results across the league, even the – the haves and the Leafs going back and forth was a big storyline as we got ready for our game. Well, listen, uh, two of the teams that probably were most disappointed last year or two of the fan bases were the Calgary Flames and the Vancouver Canucks. And everything went wrong that could go wrong in Calgary and still somehow they mustered 93 points, as you guys know, barely missed the playoffs. Uh, I have high expectations for them this year. They come out of the gate. They get an oppressive win last night. Markstrom looked very good. Uh, you know, I know the Connor goal slipped through him, but, you know, aside from that, um, Martian looked very good and, and really, you know, when the Jets were out playing and out chancing Calgary, he was there shutting the door. You got balanced scoring, Huberto's playing with a smile on his face, you know, Coronado, it's all good. And Vancouver was a really horrible season for them last year. And I know it's one game for both these teams, but to see the way they came out of the gate and just like, I think they're trying to maybe make a statement early. Like we're, we're not who we were last year and you guys better be ready. So I think it makes for what's a start of a fantastic season. It's going to be really, really exciting down the stretch here. Um, I wanted to go back to, to Connor Bedard a bit with you because what a gauntlet he has to start his season. You got to see him both nights here. Obviously the, the message of going up against Sidney Crosby for his first NHL faceoff. He's then into Boston now he's got to go to Montreal for Saturday night. He'll be in Toronto. I, I can't imagine there'll be any media coverage of that. Uh, the young man certainly has quite the the guard. I guess if you're going to be a superstar in the NHL, David, you might as well get it out of the way early. He's going to have quite the the test on his hands as he goes through these 
major NHL cities and the sort of fandom that I guess he should probably be used to at this point to a degree. It's so funny though. The schedule makers really didn't do Chicago or Bedard any favors, right? Like it's, Let's start you out back-to-back against Sid and then into Boston. They lost, I think, three home games all last year. Then we're going to put you on Saturday night hockey night in Canada against Montreal in Montreal, then in Toronto. And then you, you, didn't, you left out the fifth game, which might be the hardest of the lot. Then at the end of this road trip, we're going to take you out where the air is super thin, where you can barely <laughs> breathe, your lungs will be burning against Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Kale McCarr. Have, have a good time on that you know end of the road trip. So it's it's funny. Like, it's... I mean, I think what is cool is the anticipation for that first home game for Chicago. They, they start with this crazy gauntlet of five-game road trip, and then they're going to be home. Uh, and I'm sure it'll be he'll be coming home to a Kings Kings welcome, even if they're even if they're one and four. Just the excitement surrounding him. They sold 5.2 million dollars in seasons tickets uh, after they won the draft lottery, and he's the number one selling sweater on NHL.com, higher than Crosby, higher than Jack Hughes, higher than Pasternak. You know, Matthews higher than McDavid. I mean, it's it's wild to think the kid hadn't played an NHL game and he was the top selling jersey. So it's it's very cool the hype and he's he's earned every ounce of it. And what I was most impressed with is you know he did a hat trick of interviews. Uh, you don't see that often. He did ESPN after the first intermission versus Pittsburgh. He did us Sportsnet with Sean Reynolds after the second intermission. Post game he did Emily Kaplan back with ESPN. You don't ever see that, and especially with an 18 year old kid. Uh, I wouldn't say Chicago or the league is throwing them to the wolves. I think they're sort of saying, here's a young, marketable, mature kid, and you know, let's put him as close to the fan base as possible. Let, let's have people across the NHL and different markets fall in love with him and, and hopefully can live up to the hype. And I think so far we see it's going to be a rough year for Chicago. It's maybe going to be rough at times, certainly for Bedard. But you know, I think he's every ounce ready to take on this challenge. Uh, moving into tonight's schedule, there are a couple of interesting games. Sportsnet 1's got the doubleheader I mentioned. Rangers, Sabres, Golden Knights, Sharks. I'm really big on this Buffalo team. Uh, they uh-huh. re-signed Owen Power. They got Rasmus Dahlin signed to a long-term contract, DA. Uh, obviously, you guys see a lot of the Sabres out east there with you know the proximity and the division and everything. How are you looking at a team like the Buffalo Sabres who have been building now for a couple years? And Look, I imagine last year stung to a degree for that team knowing – Jack Eichel went out and got his Stanley Cup with the Vegas Golden Knights, but you have to feel good if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan the way that things have been building the last couple of years. You have to feel really good. Um, it looks like they have their goalie of the future, just like Dustin Wolf there in Calgary. It looks like, you know, uh, Devin Levi is their goalie of the future, and the future could be this year, quite frankly. And how many GMs in the league would love to have a one-two punch of power, six foot six, two twenty, and Darlene, you know, beautiful puck moving defenseman on their blue line. I mean, every other GM would want that. Two young studs under contract for the next seven, eight years, and you know, under fairly reasonable deals, I think, all things considered. You know, Darlene's only twenty three years old. He's played two hundred and fifty games or something like that. That's incredible. And you know, there's that thought that it takes a guy, you know, basically almost two hundred games as an NHL defenseman to find himself. You know, the, the comparison I like to have for people of my vintage is in New Jersey they had Scott Stevens and and Scott Niedermeyer. And I'm not saying power's gonna go blow up guys every two minutes with these crazy body checks because the league's different. But he can just skate like the wind. He has an incredible reach. He's a, a, a 
you know, a prototypical shutdown defender with some offensive ability. And Darlene, just like Niedermeyer, creative, smart, puck mover, uh, offensive, gets in on the attack. Like, it, it's just, that's the foundation of your team right there. A young goalie, two great stud young defensemen, and then you look at some of their forwards. And honestly, the sky's the limit for Buffalo. I don't want to overhype them yeah. because, you know, anything could happen. But I think it's, you know, in Edmonton, we're talking Stanley Cup or bust because that's the expectation there. I would definitely say it's fair to say in Buffalo, it's playoffs or bust. They can't come close. They can't just be on the periphery looking in. If they don't make the playoffs this year, it is an unmitigated, I won't call it unmitigated disaster, but it's a, a complete disappointment based on the parts they have and the stages in their career that they're at and the excitement surrounding the team. I'm curious how you see this, David, because Buffalo's gone about – uh, you mentioned, you know, the the Darlene contract and the power one and how, you know, they're not established long-term NHL veterans getting this uh, long-term deal. But that's something that we've seen more and more throughout the NHL. We've seen the Ottawa Senators do it. We've seen the Blues do it to a degree with uh, Cairo and Robert Thomas. Do you think that that's a new way for GMs to build their team going forward in the cap era? I know we're expecting the cap to go up over the next couple of years and get back to to normal growth throughout the league, but do you see that being more of a trend around the league? The GMs are going to follow. They're not just going to wait maybe, you know, for the, the entry level contract to go and do a little bridge here or there that if they feel they've got a star player, they're going to try to get that eight year term right away and, and get them uh, together on the team for a long time. Yeah. You know what? In and you know what, Logan, in talking to some GMs, it has been a strategy essentially. And I think the strategy is this, the the salary cap has moved one million each of the last two years. It's at what eighty three point five million, yeah. and the majority of teams are up at the cap or very close to the cap. And if you're the GM of one of those teams, and you now see the expectation is two years from now the cap might have go up another six or seven million dollars. It might be at ninety one million dollars. The value of having a guy like Owen Power at eight million dollars when the cap's at, let's say, $95 million, let's say three or four years from now, that looks like a great, great deal. So the player likes it. They get, you know, certainty and, and guaranteed money. And, you know, there's a certain level of security there. And then the team likes it because they're getting some potentially some value deals. And what it is, it's incumbent on the GMs and their scouts and the coaching staff to really identify who are these up-and-coming superstars and stars that we're willing to pay seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven million dollars for. You can't be wrong. If you're about to sign a guy through his prime years uh, to an eight-year deal at that kind of dollar figure, you don't want to be making mistakes. And you notice the guys who are getting these deals, as you said, Jake Sanderson or Jack Hughes, etc. These are, you know, assuredly the can't-miss uh, guys who've shown enough in their first, you know, first year or second year or third year that you say, okay, I'm very comfortable, you know, putting out the long-term deal and it's going to be a value deal six and seven years from now. The converse of that is you have guys, you know, Hellebuck and Shifley just signed those seven-year deals at age 30. Yeah. Those deals probably aren't going to look so great when they're 36 or 37 potentially, right? But if you're Kevin Sheveldayoff, you're doing that for now. Like, our window is now, and we're going to pay those guys, even though, you know, it's a longer-term deal, uh, and it might look bad four or five years from now. Right now, it, it makes sense for where we are. So I, I do think that's a strategy. I think it's worked well because the cap's been mostly flat. It, there might be fewer players excited about that when the cap starts to move because they'll say, you know what, I'll be undervalued in three or four years. And I guess it, from an NHLer's perspective too, David, on the other side of that is, 
you know, if you're Owen Power or you're Rasmus Dahlin, you're sitting there going, you know, making base salary to all of a sudden, you know, $11 million a year or $8 million a year. That's a nice, you know, contract certainty to have going forward. Injury, all this other stuff that plays into it. You go from, you know, never really knowing what the future holds to having at least some sort of, you know, idea of what your future looks like in committing to a place long term. Yeah. And you know what? If you're buying years of free agency, that's going to cost teams, right? Yeah. And that's why when people Darlene, 11 million second highest paid defenseman, I'm not sure he should be slotted there when you see other guys slotted more in the eights and nines, you know, and I get that. But at the same time, he's given up whatever it was, four years or five years of his free agency. So that's going to cost a premium to a team. Um, you know, it's funny. You have all these young guys, not all these, but a lot of these young sort of burgeoning superstars getting paid and having these eight-year deals. And then what we're seeing is a lot of veterans agreeing to go to teams for one-year deals um, at pretty reasonable rates, sort of saying, I'm going to wait for the marketplace to open up. We certainly have seen that here in Toronto. Max Domi, a one-year deal. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Bacuzzi, a one-year deal. And, I, you know, there was probably opportunities to, let's say, get a two- or three-year deal elsewhere. But I think they're saying, you know what, if I go and I put up great numbers, you're Tyler Bertuzzi. Hey, we'll throw you on the line with Matthews and Marner. Okay, uh, that can't hurt. You know, you just stay healthy. If you're Tyler Bertuzzi and you stay healthy and you continue to play with those two guys, you'll have a hard time not getting, you know, 80 points. It would, it would be, you know, we saw Michael Bunty play with those guys, and he got paid. He got his big deal from Carolina. So if I'm Tyler Bertuzzi, it's just – Stay healthy, stay up on that top line, get my points, and you know what? It's a one-year bargain deal for the Leafs, and I'm, I might end up with a four-year or five-year deal next year at a greater, greater number because of the numbers I can put up. Uh, David Amber along with us, NHL on Sportsnet, doubleheader on Sportsnet, one tonight, looking forward to it. Rangers, Sabres at 5 o'clock, Golden Knights and Sharks at 8.30. Uh, DA, we'd go from talking about one young team that's making a rise to another here, the New Jersey Devils kick off their season tonight against the Detroit Red Wings and a lot of expectation for New Jersey to do what I always find is that the hardest part of the NHL, it's taking that next step from looking like you have a promising future to actually putting it together on the ice. They've got a great collection of talent. I'm curious how you see uh, the season ahead for the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, Logan, that's a great point. I mean, look no further than the Edmonton Oilers, right? It's so easy to anoint them. Hey, they're going to win the cup. They're going to win the West. They're going to win the Pacific. And then you got to go out on the ice and perform. And it's still a professional league. So uh, it, what a difference a year makes, right? A year ago at this time, the Devils lost their first two games in pretty convincing fashion. And the fire Lindy chance started <laughs> raining down the Prudential Center. And what do you know, uh, two days before the season begins, Lindy Ruff gets a contract extension. And I'll never forget, like, once the team started making that epic run last year, they had, like, that 13-game winning streak or whatever, the fans of Prudential started chanting, sorry, Lindy, <laughs> and now they're apologizing to him. But you're right. Like, now they've got to back it up. Um, there's a lot of optimism surrounding the Devils. I, I might be less hot on them than some of the other, you know, quote-unquote hockey experts yeah. at Sportsnet or even at, uh, at TSN or in other places. A lot of people are picking them to – to win the Metro, to potentially win the East, to represent the East of the Stanley Cup Final. I'm not ready for that. I, I do like their team, um, but there's been a bit of attrition. They lost some of their blue line in the offseason. Um, I still sort of look at whether it's Hughes and, and Heischer. I look at them as two excellent players, but they both have had a bit of a history of getting injured at times as well, and they're both obviously not the biggest players up front. So I do, I do wonder how that's going to work. I think they did a great job. They re-signed Timo Meyer. They, they, you know, Jesper Brad, they've gone out and they, 
they've locked up that nucleus. And I think it's a very good nucleus. But I'm just wondering between their goaltending situation and um, maybe the depletion on the blue line, exactly what we have in the New Jersey Devils. Do I think they're a playoff team 100%? But I'm not as convinced as some of the others that they're going to you know, just be this juggernaut that's going to run through the Metro and, and potentially run through the East come playoff time. Yeah, it's a, it's a big step a lot of people are, are expecting them to make, and I'm, I'm curious mm-hmm. to see just how much of that they can achieve. Uh, DA, before we let you go, we, we've skipped out on uh, probably the biggest topic in, in hockey throughout this. It wasn't about the Leafs coming back to beat the Habs or anything, but they have a new goal song in Toronto, and it's, it's caught everyone <laughs> off guard. I believe they, they went to some Kid Cudi. They dropped hollow notes and went to, to Kid Cudi. What's the what's the mood like in Toronto knowing such a big tradition has changed? Well, I think first and foremost, the majority of the fan base, certainly the people I've spoken to, and I sit beside Elliot Friedman once in a while, and he's been one of the big advocates having that hollow notes song retired. I think a lot of people were kind of over it and also you know it wasn't really attached to the to the best era in maple leaf history or you know they just had all those playoff failures i thought it was definitely time for a new song am i in love with this version i'm i'm not i'm you know maybe i'll maybe i'll warm up you know i remember when it was announced it was the seattle kraken i was like oh my god the kraken (laughs) And I just couldn't get over. I was just like, I can't yeah. bring myself. And now it's just sort of, I'm used to it. Yeah. it doesn't mean I like it, but I'm kind of used to the whole cracking. Um, maybe I'll get used to this song. I don't know. I, I did, did you like it? Cause I wasn't, it's not something you can kind of sing along to, or I don't know. It just didn't, didn't touch a great nerve with me. Yeah. It was, it, I was kind of with you where I was just sort of more in like trying to, to process it more than anything. Cause you're so used to, you know, and there's all the talk about the Hall and Oates song in Toronto and and all that. I didn't I didn't mind it. I don't know that it's a, a classic that's going to to last for years and years in Toronto. I mean, I guess we're gonna have to get used to it if uh, Austin Matthews has anything to say about it because uh, that guy looked really good last night uh, as he usually does. But uh, yeah, it was just I found it so funny that. The Beavs had tweeted about getting ready to hear some Hall and Oates, and all of a sudden it was it was the big topic in Toronto that the goal song was changing. It was it was so and that told me everything I needed to know that hockey is fully back in Toronto. Yeah, I you know what there there is some scuttlebutt that uh, they're going to have more than one goal song. I I, I tweeted out yesterday. I'd be, I'm kind of of the mind, and I think they do this in Buffalo and a couple other markets where every player has their own goal song. Just yeah. like every batter in Major League Baseball has their own walk-up song or every closer has their own walk-out-to-the-mound song. You know, I know it's a little trickier from a DJ in, in-game entertainment standpoint, but it'd be kind of cool if Austin Matthews said, this is the song I love and this is going to be my goal celebration song and all the way through from Austin Matthews to the last guy in the roster, they've got their own individual song. I don't know. I think it's that there's some coolness to that. And it certainly puts an individual stamp on it. Whereas this song, you know, I just, I'm not sure I identify it with the team. It's certainly nothing Toronto esque about it. Yeah. Um, so it'll, it might take some time, but uh, you know, if this is what we're debating, that's, that's an okay <laughs> thing too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like yeah. these are the biggest problems in the world right now <laughs> that we're doing today. Cause we know there's a lot of, you know, more deeper things happening in the world right now. No kidding. Uh, DA, it's great to have you back behind the desk, pal. Keep up the great work. Uh, thanks for taking some time this afternoon. Can't wait to chat with you again, pal.
Yeah, Logan, thank you for having me on. And uh, really fun to see the Flames uh, looking energized and happy on the ice on what was, you know, a special night doing it for Snowy, which is great. So, uh, yeah, all the best to the fan base this year, and I'll look forward to talking to you soon. Take care, DA. Thanks, pal. David Amber joining us down the Atlas Beaches and Sports Bar. Guest hotline, NHL on Sportsnet. You know him, you love him. Uh, out there all the time. Hockey night in Canada. Uh, getting you set most nights for hockey on Sportsnet. And again, another busy night in the NHL tonight. Seven games. A lot of teams kicking off their season for the first time. If you're looking to watch some hockey tonight, Sportsnet 1's got you covered with a pair of games. Rangers and Buffalo Sabres at 5 o'clock. Your late game, the San Jose Sharks hosting the Vegas Golden Knights at 8.30. We also got Flyers, Blue Jackets, Red Wings, Devils, Stars in the Blues. Panthers are in Minnesota to take on the Wild, while the Kraken take on the Nashville Predators. That's a wrap on Hour 1. When we come back, check in with one of our favorites at the station. Peter Klein's going to join us. We'll see what PK thought about the Flames' opening night win against the Jets. Uh, also, some big changes to a UFC card coming up. I want to get PK's thoughts on that as well. Plus, Kelly Rudy former NHL goaltender, color analyst on Flames broadcast. He's going to join us as well. Lots of hockey talk still to come as Sportsnet Today rolls on here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.